Hi, everybody. Wynn Claybaugh here, and welcome to this issue of Masters, which I'm, I'm so proud to facilitate this interview, which is in celebration of Black History Month. And now here I am, this white guy, um, but I'm smart enough to know to surround myself with brilliant, brilliant people. And that's exactly what I have done for this issue. As much as I am privileged to facilitate this interview, I also am more honored to be a student, to sit back and to be able to learn what I need to know uh, so that I can perform better, so that I can do better on this planet. That's always my goal, and especially with what has been happening in, in our country and worldwide recently with social unrest. And this is a, a topic that we need to keep on the forefront. And if I can be a small part of making that happen, I'm, I'm honored to do that. So I'm confident that this ongoing complexity of racism and the struggle for freedom will be covered and addressed in many different podcasts by leaders and experts who are absolutely more qualified than I am. So I thought that facilitating a discussion today on the celebration of black hair could be a very interesting approach for my master's podcast series. To help me, I've invited two fabulous, beautiful, and powerful black women, Camilla Jerry Stent and Nicole Cumberlander, who I'll introduce here in a little bit. But black history is American history, and we absolutely need to, to keep that as a big part of this discussion. And within the black history is the history of hair. And out of the hundreds of thousands of people who download my podcast each month, a large number have nothing to do with the hair industry. So they might be thinking, why is this a necessary conversation outside of the professional beauty industry? And I, I guarantee you, those of you who are not from the professional beauty industry, which was the foundation of why I started this podcast over 22 years ago, I want you to know that this will be absolutely relevant and you're going to be fascinated by the information that's going to be shared with you by these two wonderful women. So the first is Nicole Cumberlander, who has been in the beauty industry for almost 30 years and has achieved a plethora of awards and accomplishments as a national educator for John Paul Mitchell Systems, a salon owner and a school owner. She also became involved in the Professional Beauty Association with the largest national salon business owner association in North America, where she was an active member as well as a past president. Nicole's passion and commitment for the beauty industry also led to the appointment to the State Board of Cosmetology uh, in the state of Ohio. Nicole and her husband, Orlando, own two Paul Mitchell schools in Cleveland and Columbus, Ohio, with over 75 employees, and they graduate over 300 professionals uh, each year between the two locations. Aside from her being involved in her schools, Nicole also serves as president of the Paul Mitchell School Franchise Association. She is very passionate about serving in ministry at the Word Church and being a wife for 30 years while she and Orlando are loving parents to their greatest accomplishment, their children, Orlando Jr. and Skyler, who I think I've known them since before they were born. Isn't that true? I yeah, hope so. You have, yeah. yeah, you knew both of them while they were in, in utero. Yes. Now, Nicole, aren't, aren't, aren't they both now in the professional beauty industry working in the company with you and Orlando as well? Yes. Yes, they both are. Uh, Skylar's involved in salons and Orlando leads our real estate development company that houses all of our businesses. Congratulations. So, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Now, Camilla Jerry Stant, she is recognized for big hair and big laughs. Uh, Camilla, who is also known as Ms. Hair and Humor, which we're going to ask her about, created her own online buzz, which helped popularize knotless braids, spreading the message of the future is knotless. Camilla's goal was to shift the braiding experience for black women and empower clients to make healthier choices for their hair. Everyday women and celebrity clients alike secured highly sought appointments with Camilla for knotless braids. Camilla's humorous message of health over length and pain-free braiding welcomed several media opportunities, 
including appearing as a podcast guest on Fat Mascara, hosted by Jessica Maitland from Harper's Bazaar and Jennifer Goldstein from Marie Claire. She has been featured in magazines such as Self, Be Latina, Zoe Report, digitally through magazines such as Door, Essence.com, 18 Ways to Style Box Braids, Shea Moisture, Holiday Hair, and Good Morning America's Need More Reasons Why Knotless Box Braids Are the Best <laughs> Video. Boy, that's a mouthful. Uh, <laughs> Camilla also produced a braid fashion show for the annual International Braids Day in Brooklyn featuring six models with unique braid styles. Uh, now get this, at the end of Summer 2019, Camilla accepted a major opportunity to work as the sole braider for Madonna's 2019 Madame X Tour for a duration of 75 shows over an eight-month period of time. I'm sure you travel the planet for that. In that same year, Camilla also joined the team of braiders who created hair pieces for Beyonce's Black is King project. Camilla continues to educate clients and stylists through her online school, Knotless Nation, her ebook, Beyond the Braids, and YouTube channel content. Um, and I know that Camilla is also going to introduce us to the incredible opportunities that people have to learn more about her, to be educated by her technically and in, in other ways. So, Camilla, thank you again so much for being a part of this. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> so, so touring with Madonna, let's just get that out of the way. What was what was that all like? That was the most amazing ride. It's like the best ride in the amusement park. That's what it is. You know, you're excited, you're nervous. You don't know if you want to do it, but you do it anyway and you stand in line. That's what it felt like. So it was a challenge for me as a stylist on several levels, but ultimately... It was just an amazing opportunity for growth and to network and to step out of my comfort zone. Can I ask you, how long had you been a professional licensed stylist before that opportunity came about? Three years. That's it? <laughs> that's it. Wow. That's It's awesome. wild. It's wild. It's wild. Congratulations. Thank you so much. How, what do you attribute that to? Because people think that's impossible, but clearly, you know, you're here to prove that that's very doable. How did you uh, accomplish that? So I truly, besides God, <laughs> I, I <laughs> that, that's the only explanation. It just can't be explained. But besides that, I truly think that um, when you start to to push yourself past that comfort zone that I just mentioned and walk your walk, things happen that are not typical or that you cannot plan. I really think there's something beautiful about just taking the leap and ultimately networking. Um, my specialty is textured hair, but there was one connection I made where I braided an Australian model, a white boy with straight hair. And I was like, wait, I don't know how to braid straight hair. You know, the rules are different. I need grit. I need, <laughs> I don't know what products to use, but because I stepped out of my comfort zone, he remembered me three years later. There was no prior conversation. He just reached out to me and said, Hey, I think I have a gig for you. And I, I was like, what? We haven't spoken in three years, but wow. that one connection, that one moment of being open, that one moment of stepping out of what I was used to three years later, played out in my life. So you really just never know what can happen. Wow, what a great lesson. <laughs> and, and then how did that lead to working with Beyonce? So that was completely separate. Um, okay. Yeah, another, again, networking and just putting yourself out there. I, I started to promote my work on social media. Instagram has been a huge platform for my growth and a fellow braider in the industry that I, I met once, but we weren't friends. She knew of an opportunity. She called me. And it's so funny, again, how life worked. I originally had to turn it down without knowing what it was because I was already contracted to Madonna's tour. But again, what's for you is for you. And so I got looped back in on a day off and I went. And when I realized what it was for, I said, no way, two of the biggest stars <laughs> 
like are on my resume in the same year. It's wow. it's insane. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I, I want to jump into this, and and just so everybody knows, uh, Nicole and I go way back over thirty years, and you know she's part of what I call my committee. Hopefully all of you have your committee. You have, and I don't have a large committee, but you better believe that I have people that I love, that I trust, their relationship with their kids are healthy, their physical body is healthy. You know, just as I have to do the work, I I rely on my committee members that they're doing the work as well. And so Nicole, just before we start, I just want to thank you for being part of that inner circle for me all all these years. So thanks, sweetheart. Thank you. I, I appreciate it. You are part of my committee as well. And um, you're a, a relationship that I adore dearly. So thank you. You've been a blessing in my life and my whole family's life. So, of course, you do tell that terrible story about me when we were on the road together and you were driving <laughs> me from a location and you, oh my gosh, you were making fun of me that I didn't want to eat at a fast food joint. What was that all about? No, it was not fast food. Okay, you have to understand, this was in the beginning of my career. I was nine months pregnant and one of my favorite places to eat is the Cracker Barrel. And (laughs) so I was asked, can you take Wynn to dinner? And it was funny because in Cleveland, we didn't have many. So when I saw we were dry, I was driving to the event and I passed one. I'm like, oh, perfect. That's exactly where I'm going to go to eat. Thinking I was having dinner by myself. Well, I was asked to, if I could take Wynn to dinner and I said, oh, of course. And, you know, and my 26 year old mind I'm thinking I know exactly where we're going to eat <laughs> so <laughs> I take Wendy Crackle Barrel and we're sitting there now mind you when is this you know he was the keynote speaker and you know he was he was the bee's knees at this show so we went to the to Crackle Barrel and he says you know I normally don't eat at uh, chain restaurants so in my very nine month pregnant <laughs> self, I said, oh, that's unfortunate. Can you pass the sugar, please? <laughs> <laughs> so the moral of the story is she's trying to tell you all that I was high maintenance. So I, I want you to know that it has been my goal over the years to become less high maintenance. So, did, um, you enjoy it? did you enjoy I, it? I did enjoy it. I ate at a chain and I enjoyed it. So, thank you for being part of my committee to uh, knock me down a few notches. I just, I just had to keep you humble. That's all. That's it. That's it. (laughs) Okay, I want to jump into this because again, Black History Month, and Nicole, if we wanted to make this only about racism as it relates to hair, what would our listening audience need to learn about? Uh, when it comes to the Crown Act. And for those of you who have not heard of the Crown Act, uh, it stands for creating a respectful and open world for natural hair. Uh, It was created in 2019 by Dove and the Crown Coalition to ensure protection against discrimination based on race-based hairstyles. And I know that some people right now are listening to this saying, what the heck are they talking about? There is... Uh, discrimination based on hairstyles. So Nicole, navigate us through this. Oh, sure. You know, if I said to people that Black women are one and a half times more likely to be sent home from the workplace because of their hair, people wouldn't believe that, that in 2021, that that's still, not only is it possible, but it's legal. And 80% of women, African-American women have said, I have changed my hair from its natural state to fit in at the office. Black women are 80% more likely than white women to agree with this statement. Wow. The, The fear and scrutiny and discrimination that they experience simply because of wearing their hair in a natural state. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a whole, there's a whole history that goes behind that. And I know when you and I have had a conversation about, 
you know, what it is like for a Black woman to be able to embrace their natural hair and celebrate it and wear it with pride. You know, I am um, a 53-year-old woman and for the first time in my life, really in the past, I'd say 10 years, I have embraced my own natural texture and my own natural hair. And from, you know, grade school up until, you know, my 40s, I wore my hair straight and not because I wanted it to be easier to comb through or any of that. I wore my hair straight because I thought that was the only way that I could be perceived as pretty. Mm -hmm. And... So for a Black woman to be able, not all, but a good portion of Black women to be able to embrace their natural texture with pride and with confidence and to go to the workplace and know that there are opportunities to advance in the workplace. And it's not just women, it's men as well. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys saw the video that went viral about the young man. He was a wrestler and oh he I, was I, I, I watched that this morning just, just to remind oh. myself of that horrific story in, in 2018. Tell them the story yes. of what happened. Well, this young man was in a wrestling tournament and he had long, beautiful locks. And if you know anything about locks, Locks really are a statement. It's a lifestyle. You know, it's for particularly people of color that wear them. It's a lifestyle. And it he had them. They were very long and beautiful and well-maintained. Well, in order for the referee decided, the referee that was refing this match said in order for him to be able to continue in the match, he was going to have to cut off his locks because he felt like his locks were an unfair advantage for him against his opponent. So he actually, if if he didn't cut off his locks, he would have had to forfeit his opportunity to win this match. And if I'm not mistaken, and because you saw it this morning when you might know, I, I believe this was like the finals, the championship. So it, 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 it was, and was he, he ended up, he ended up winning the match, which then helped the, the team win that day. But you see the video. I, you guys oh. just watch the video. Again, it was from 2018. It was the New Jersey referee who, you know, fortunately then got suspended uh, because of all of this. But just to watch the video of them, it just seemed like, like it was almost violently yes. cutting off his dreads. And then after he wins the match, you know, where he should be celebrating and raising his hands just to look. <laughs> he was Makes so emotional. Yes. It was, I, it was, I got it was just heartbreaking to see I the look it. on his face. Yeah. Oh, it was heart wrenching. I just, oh, it, the, it was really, really difficult for me to watch it the first time. I mean, I got emotional. You, you said that it's a lifestyle for someone to wear locks like that. And maybe, Camilla, you can jump into it as well. Educate our, our listening audience on what more does it mean for someone to choose to wear their hair that way? It's absolutely a way of life, like Nicole mentioned, um, for some people who choose it. There's obviously the just the cosmetic aspect, like my brother has locks. He has it by choice. But for the people who wear it, as a deeper, more significant meaning as part of culture. This goes back to, you know, Maasai warriors in Africa. This goes back to the history and the the royalty of this particular style. So specifically the Rastafari movement. Rastafarians, yes. Um, Yes. It was symbolic Mm -hmm. of the Lion of Judah, which is Rastafarianism holds that, you know, um, highly, I, I never know how to say his name, Haile Selassie. I don't want to say it wrong, you know, and he's a direct descendant of King Solomon and all of this, you know, it's, it's way, way deeper and it's so cultural and it's not just a hairstyle. It's not just for vanity metrics. And so to wonder if that's why he grew it out and to have someone cut it off in that public display of shame. Um, mm-hmm. I actually, I actually talk about this in my class with the students for Paul Mitchell, that's one of the examples I use and connect it back to this ugly history of America. And 
without digging into it, we don't want to relive it, but we have to dig into it and pull it out and get to the root so that we can expose it and expose the truth and break it down. So that's the only way to make a change about it. But there's absolutely deeper meaning to someone choosing to grow their locks. It's the most natural hairstyle someone can do to just allow your hair to grow and flourish. And opinions aside about how you think it looks, that story in particular was is a total disrespect. I, I invite people to watch that video, but just maybe this will help put it into perspective for people. You know, yeah. we uh, work a lot with different organizations that provide support and wigs uh, for women going through chemotherapy. And if you mm-hmm. ask them, for a lot of them, that the toughest part of going through chemotherapy and having that that battle, that journey of overcoming cancer or going through cancer treatments is losing their hair. Mm-hmm. So some people say, oh, what's the big deal? He had his hair cut off. And yet for other people to say to lose their, wait, you're battling cancer. And the worst part of this is that you're losing your hair. Yes, it can be that significant for people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And even with, especially with locks and some, particularly in the Rastafarian culture, the longer the locks, the more meaning it has. Mm-hmm, so for his, for his locks to be as long and luxurious as they were, which is why I mentioned that in the very beginning, and to have it savagely cut off like that in that public display of humiliation, it was even more meaningful and deeply hurtful. Mm-hmm. There's another story as recent as July of 2020. The Texas State Board voted to continue a grooming code, which led to the suspension of two black students who weren't allowed to participate in their high school graduation or their senior prom. Yes, yes. And again, they they voted to continue with that same code. And and you know what? That's why the Crown Act is so important. Um, It was first introduced in California in January of 2019, and it was signed into law in July of 2019. And right now, there's only seven states that have passed the law. And so we still have 43 more to go. The good news is that um, it actually has been passed in the House of Representatives and Congress. So it's now in the Senate. And we're waiting on and, and prayerfully awaiting that it passes in the Senate so that all 43 remaining states that have not passed this law yet, it will be a nationwide law that it will no longer be able to be discriminated against. What what can people do now uh, when it comes to the Crown Act? Is there a a petition that people can still sign? What can they do? Absolutely. They can definitely, um, they can go to the Crown Act com and, and sign the petition. You can contact your, not only your state congressman, but your national congressman as well, and let them know that you want to see this bill passed. And the more letters, in fact, if you go on um, dove.com and there's actually a, a template letter that you can use to send to your congressman and email it to your congressman. Um, both local and national, so that they can get that information and let them know that you want to see this passed. And the unfortunate thing is most people don't even know that this law exists, Mm -hmm. that this is still, they're just taken back, that there's no way that this is still legal in this day and age. And it it absolutely is. So it's going to take all of us and all of our coming together and letting people know, letting our, our legislators know that this is not okay. This is not okay. Well, again, for black women to fear scrutiny and discrimination simply based on their natural hairstyle is Mm -hmm. just mind boggling to me. And I, you know, Nicole, you started to tell your story. And I want to ask both of you even more if either of you have felt any sort of discrimination based on your hair. Uh, Nicole, you once said to me that natural hair for you, you believe that it wasn't considered pretty or desirable. So what what can the two of you share with our listening audience about personally what you have experienced and felt? Well, mine wasn't so much as discrimination 
And and I don't even know now that I think about it, I'm a little older and I look back. I don't know if that had anything to do with me going into the beauty industry because that's always been a passion of mine. But mine was more from a, a personal perspective. And I think some of it I have to attribute to the media. You know, when you watch television and you see the commercials, particularly, you know, I was an 80s baby. So, well, a 70s baby, let's just be real. <laughs> yeah, nice try. Nice try. <laughs> I, know, right? I had to kind of rephrase that. I was in high school in the 80s. But, you know, my really formative years and those years that, you know, looks are really, really important. You know, the, the in the media, on television and magazines, social media wasn't much of a thing back then, but it was the magazines and television where the imagery of beauty for Black women and white women was straight hair, you know, or, and if there were curls, they were the very, you know, tamed, silky curls. They were not the wild, beautiful untamed, you know, hair that you see in natural hair. I mean, I have 4C hair, which is probably the tightest, kinkiest curl that you can have, which back then was considered bad hair. You know, if you wore your hair natural, that was not a good thing. And it was not perceived as pretty in media or unfortunately, even in the Black community, it was not perceived as pretty. So when that shift happened, and I know you you spoke very eloquently about that, Camilla, and I'd love for you to share, you know, how that transition in media and in just the culture period, how, how that transition happened, because you were very eloquent about bringing that to everyone's attention. So if you could speak to that. Yeah, the shift, it happened in the early 2000s, we as a society kind of went into this phase back then where everyone was reading labels and wanted to do better for their health and themselves in general. And we started recycling, you know, and with that, with women reading labels, there was this big eye-opening shift in using harsh chemicals, right? And it started off very slowly, but more and more as the buzz, you know, started to get around the community, women were like, wait, these ingredients are cancerous? Wait, this, you know, like this is really damaging my hair. And then we started to see the shift into the movement where women were cutting their hair off completely. And then, you know, it just kept growing and, and the little sizzle came to a boil when we had events right here in Brooklyn, such as um, Curl Fest, where women would just come together. Black women, curly, coily, kinky hair women would just come together to say, you're beautiful. No, you're beautiful. Your hair is beautiful. And we enjoyed loving on each other because it was so missing from, as you mentioned, Nicole, media, magazines, the things that you would look to or spend hours absorbing the content, you don't see reflections of your hair type, your complexion, you know, the variety of shades of brown within our community. You're not seeing this representation. And as it pertains to hair, it also was missing. And so we started to celebrate curly, coily, kinky hair. And this was around the time I kind of entered the beauty industry. And that was when I, my eyes were opened to the things that were really going on. I was kind of sheltered from that simply because my mother, <laughs> my mother was very particular about what I could and couldn't do with my hair. And so I knew when I went to work, cause I transitioned into the industry late. I knew when I went to work, my hair was to be pulled back in a chignon. I learned that word in school. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, like I knew my hair was big and wild and it, you know, it went up and out. But when I went to work, it was snatched back and no one ever knew what my hair looked like. So my experience wasn't the more, you know, these stories we hear about in magazine articles, et cetera. But at the same time, there is absolutely an unspoken like rule or blanket over corporate America and schooling 
to kind of fit in, quote unquote, fit in, fall in line and be accepted or viewed a certain way. And so, so yeah, it's very, very unfortunate, but it's why representation matters there. And within that, there's texturism, like you said, 4C is typically looked at as the most difficult and the most unattractive. But as I mentioned earlier, those things, people have to realize those type of views and sentiments towards coily, kinky hair or hair that grows out of the scalp of African descendants, period. Because I, I even say like black is a color, you know, you're, <laughs> you have to be careful about word choice. But the thing is, because it's been left out for so long, we're facing generations of people repeating this and it's just linked to this ugly part of American history. And so that's why some people aren't aware because if you're not told about it, if that treasure is not uncovered, you don't know it exists. It doesn't change the fact that there's a treasure there, but you just don't know it exists. And that's why these conversations are important. Camilla, you, you had mentioned two women, Rose Morgan and Elizabeth Cardoza Barker. Can yes. you tell us who they are and, and why they were significant in this natural hair movement? Yeah, so Rose Morgan and Elizabeth Barker, they, at their time, this is, we're talking the 1900s, really. Uh, Rose Morgan was born in 1912, and I think Elizabeth Barker was a little bit older. So we're talking years ago when we are post-slavery, but still living in segregation and racial tensions. These two hairstylists, they actually cracked into the system. What I mean by that? So for example, Elizabeth Barker, she was a hairstylist in DC. She had a salon and she was a part of the cosmetology board. The way she used her complexion, she was very fair. She was white passing, was to go to these trade shows. And, you know, the things that we know now is, uh, you know, at Jacob Javits Center in New York or the big ones out in California. And she would go get information and bring it back to the community and said, wait a minute. This is how we should be taking care of our hair because post-slavery, people didn't know. The hair was shaved to erase identity, to shame, the public shaming we spoke about with the wrestler. It was to shame and erase someone's identity. And so now we have these two women who are saying, wait a minute, we have it all wrong. Black hair is beautiful. You know, black hair is, it's not what we thought. Rose Morgan did the same thing in New York. Not enough people know their role in how the industry is today and the doors that they opened as far as cosmetology. Back then to be in the system and make changes and, and have the popularity they did with a message that the community never heard before was huge because magazines, again, within the community like Ebony or newspaper articles would interview them and they're spreading this message that wasn't heard at the time. And so that then became the seeds of what, of the next era, which was, um, you know, the whole Black Panthers and the seventies. And so it's like their role, their, their chant or their belief in those interviews and their views affected the next generation. And that's when we begin to see a more acceptance and yes, my hair is beautiful. Fight the power, you know, Afro's out. And that's when black hair started to be politicized because the leaders of those movement, thought that movement was a direct reflection of what those women were saying. And so their efforts were crucial in the pride that came back into the community. Because again, if we go into history and we go back to Africa, the hairstyles were worn on kings and queens you know, they told our story. They told our status. You know somebody's tribe by the hairstyle they had. But then that was all erased. And so to come back to that, it's like we really are going in full circles. And from the 70s, if you think back to what I just mentioned about the natural hair movement, it's like, again, another circle. And so we keep going into these loops. This is one of those interviews where I really wish it were visual so people could see on your screen PowerPoint of the imagery that you're talking about. I've seen you do that presentation where it is uh, visual and you had different black celebrities, trailblazers as, as they were. We had soul train and, and better representation of what natural 
black hair looks like and what more can you tell us about that and and nicole you know save me here you're the ones to ask the the better questions than than this bald white guy here (laughs) no but that's why but soul train is what exactly what nicole mentioned about not looking in the magazine and seeing herself or seeing her hair right soul train was Right. You know, Soul Train, it's just a celebration of blackness. It's the clothes, it's the dancing, it's the hairstyles, it's all of it. And so when we talk about the role that hair plays, like people, when for people who feel, oh, I like, what's the connection? I don't get it. It's a huge connection. I also mentioned like, that's why in my presentation, that's why when we watch these crime shows, I have a guilty pleasure for like snapped and things like that. They're so excited when they find a piece of hair. That's evidence. That's DNA. You know, hair is a part of us. And so to erase that from somebody's identity, to erase that from their head, it's almost like think about the relationship you have with your hair. If you're not a descendant of African, think about your relationship, what that means to you. And now think about somebody telling you, no, you have to leave this establishment. You can't get an education. You won't get the same amount of pay. That's it's it's unbelievable. The impact that has on the present yeah, you're so right, you know, and, and I can even remember as a little girl seeing, you know, the Essence magazine and the Jet magazine, mm-hmm. um, waiting for them to like the mailman to deliver those magazines, because really that and then Saturday morning watching Soul Train, mm-hmm. because you got to see people that looked like you and what your realistic idea of beauty you could attain. There were so many things that, you know, on television, their version of what beauty was for a little black girl was just unattainable Mm -hmm. unless you went through, you know, sitting at getting your hair pressed with the, the hot comb on the stove. And there was a lot of pain and all of that that went along with associated with trying to assimilate, if you will. But it was so just very freeing and and build confidence to be able to see those beautiful black women on soul train looking so great in those great outfits and their bell bottoms and their brown clothes. Yeah. And happy Mm -hmm. and the big, huge afros. And it was very freeing to see that. And I do remember that as a little girl to see that. And again, you know, the magazines, those were so important in the black community because that was finally our opportunity to see what beauty could look like, all to all, all types of beauty. I want to take this in a direction to truly educate our, our listeners here. Um, you, you're talking about black women and little girls uh, needing to assimilate to trying to fit the standard, so to speak, of what they needed to look like, to feel uh, beautiful or accepted or uh, not discriminated against. Walk us through what did that mean for a little girl or for a black woman to continue going through the expense? You even said the pain what did they have to do to be able to, to fit in? And I, again, help me word this the right way. No, I, I think you're right on, you know, there was, there was a lot that, you know, I mean, let's just face it, you know, that's not only in the black community, but, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of white women that could talk about the pain that they go through to be what's considered beautiful as well. Yeah. However, in the black community, you know, the relaxers, we'll just talk about that. Not only as Camilla said, the, the product is, was horrible for your hair mm-hmm. and for your skin. You know, it was it had cancerous ingredients in it and it was lye. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's it's a lye product. That's what they use to clean engines with. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, imagine putting that on your hair and putting it on, and it got on your scalp over and over and over every six weeks or every four weeks in some cases. And like you could get you know, first degree burns Mm -hmm. from this Mm -hmm. product. And some people did and they left it on because, you know, in fact, there was the saying at one point, if it's not burning, it's not working, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? So I I just want to add to what you're saying as far as the little girl is concerned. And, and I know, you know, about this, Nicole, it's like the problem though, for the little girls in our community Mm -hmm. 
is that our community is so complex as it is. So yes. we're not only facing the issue of texture. Little girls are facing the issue of complexion because Absolutely. attached to the hair, typically with those soft curls that you mentioned is someone with lighter skin. Mm -hmm. And so now the message for the girl on the box of that relaxer is a lighter brown or, you know, brown skin, mm -hmm. but you know, a lighter brown girl with mm -hmm. straight hair. And the message is just continuously being pumped out that how you look is not good enough. Absolutely. And that is why it's so damaging. That's why it's so hurtful and dangerous to not get to the root and have these uncomfortable conversations because people have to realize it's not just a matter of shrug, get over it. That was a while ago. This is conditioning. This is generational. And so everything in society just reinforced, you're not worthy, you're not good enough. And then to bring it to present time as an adult, when you get to work and it's, you're not good enough because yes, you look like something that, you know, you're not that little girl in the box. Your hair's not straight. It's like, you're almost, it's an attack on that little girl that is not healed. And so Absolutely. it's like that inner child. Yes. Mm -hmm. it's, it's way mm -hmm. bigger than it's just hair. It's way bigger than that. What's the volume of business that is done year by year in the relaxer world? How many millions of dollars? Oh, billions of dollars. Wow. Billions. Yeah, billions. And and I'm happy to say that used to be, you know, obviously that number has dropped drastically. Yes. 38%. 38%. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it it has. It's dropped drastically. And but the the I mean black hair industry is still a multi-billion dollar industry. And aside from relaxers, you know, yeah. because now there is a whole nother, you know, thing that with products to maintain natural hair, you know, and that in itself is a whole learning process and it's a learning curve. And the reason why it's a learning curve is because a lot of black women are just now starting to wear their own natural hair. So mm -hmm. at 40, 50 years old for the first time in their life, this is the first time they've ever had to learn how to, to work with their own natural hair. So they had to relearn how what products to use. They had to relearn what works, what doesn't work, how to even maintain it. And I'll use myself as an example. For a long time, my hair was natural, but if I left it out, out of a protective style and a protective style, meaning with braids or something like that. Um, and normally I wear my hair really big and full and in its natural state, but I couldn't wear it like that because it kept breaking and I couldn't understand why it kept breaking. Well, it was because I wasn't putting enough moisture on it. Mm -hmm. I was using the same amount of moisture that I would use as if I had a relaxer. Mm -hmm. And you can't approach it the same way. It's a completely different texture of hair when it's natural versus when it's relaxed. But I'm a hairstylist of 30 years. And I didn't understand that about my own hair. Mm -hmm. So imagine when that's missing from the curriculum. Can, can yes. I ask you, but can I, this, I, I don't know if you guys can answer this question. I'm, I'm sure you can, but. How much damage have black women done to their hair trying to fit within this model? Like what, what are oh some worst God. case scenarios? We're talking braids are too tight. So they're literally pulled the edges from around their hairline. Like they're gone. Like the follicles are dead. They're yep. gone. They cannot grow hair back. They've burned their scalp to the point where the hair cannot grow back because the burns are so severe with relaxers. Like that's just a few of them. I'm sure you probably know some more, Kamala. That was the main one. I was gonna say that these burns, the increased risk of cancer, they even linked relaxers to reproductive issues, hormone yes. disruption, mm -hmm. you know. And this is just on the, the physical level, you know, like there's emotional damage that goes along with it. Your self-esteem, mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. know, you're ashamed, you're embarrassed. It's a deep, deep, deep scar when yeah. I get well, let's, let's, let's jump into some solutions here because not even from a, 
uh, discriminatory, racist point of view. There are black women who are turned away from hair salons, again, not in a racist way, simply because the staff working in that salon is not educated. They don't know what to do. And, you know, the, the fear of doing black hair. So can you talk to us about that, but more in the solution? So what needs to happen? What do we need to do here? Well, I mean, I could speak to that as a school owner, you know, and when I'm I'm so excited that, you know, we have taken the step in our curriculum for Paul Mitchell, we're very, very intentional about making sure that all textures of hair are addressed in the curriculum, you know, from and it's it's systemized, just like we have a hair cutting system, we have a hair color system, we have a hair texture system. Hair is hair, yes. You st- if you burn it, it all stinks. And it all has its own level of DNA. But at the end of the day, you have to approach 2A, which is wavy to straight hair, to 4C, which is tight, kinky, curly hair. You have to approach them differently. And so education is the key. And it has to start in the cosmetology school level. You have to approach it so that people are comfortable, at least expose them to it so that they're at least they understand that even down to shampooing, you can't go in gingerly and shampoo someone's hair that is coarse 4C texture. You can't do it. Number one, you're not going to get to the scalp the way you need to. It's not going to get clean the way it needs to the same way you would shampoo someone that has straight hair, straight, fine hair. You can't approach it the same way. So even something as simple and basic as shampooing, let alone the products, the amount of moisture, the amount of of heat that one can take. You can take a little bit more heat with, you know, a coarse 4C than you can with a straight, fine texture of hair. There's completely different ways to approach it. The way you color hair, the way you cut it, the approaches are all different and exposing a student to that very, very early in their career and getting them comfortable. You know, they're not going to master it by the time they get out of beauty school. That's just unrealistic expectations. But at least if you're exposing them to it and letting them know that, you know, this is what it is, then that will help. Hopefully the student will continue on with their education and lifelong learning of education in their craft to get better at it. I, I am privy to have friends who work for almost every single manufacturer and brand, and and I'm thrilled to say that all of them are doing this. They're they're all hypersensitive and focused on making sure that the education is there. But Camilla, I know that boy, this is your passion, education. Yeah. <laughs> so, sweetheart, take it away. Take it away. Tell us what we need to know and what we need to do, baby. It's all yours. <laughs> I thank you. I completely want to agree with Nicole with the education though and and drop a mention of don't skip chapter 18. It's a page on Instagram to give a little background on what that page is about. Uh, a friend of mine in the industry who works on Broadway, she started a petition with another hairstylist who's who's not black and they came together when we we spoke earlier about the importance of allyship and coming together to make these changes to make a petition to not skip chapter 18 in the cosmetology book. There is a complete disregard for textured hair in many, many, many of the schools. I won't say all because nothing is absolute, but in a huge majority of schools, a lot of students don't even touch textured hair. I went to two different cosmetology schools. I mean, uh, schools to get licensed. I have my natural hair license and a cosmetology license. And so I am one of the lucky ones who had a curriculum focused on coily kinky hair. But in my cosmetology experience, we didn't talk about it at all. So it also stems from schools providing this chance to quote unquote play, you know, school is the time to mess up. School is the time to explore, invite guests that can teach. The educators are out there. It's use them up, you know, show the variety. I think people are afraid to go back to the original question. The fear of black hair comes from ignorance and not even knowing the possibilities. 
the black women are spending so much money on hair that mm-hmm. the greed side of it takes over. And instead of figuring out how to actually find solutions, they're actually exploiting the weaknesses of the community and saying, oh, they like oil? Let's pump oil out, you know? And it's like, no, we don't need oil. We need to know how to take care of our hair. We need the education. And if someone goes to a salon and it's Black stylists and non-Black stylists alike, you know, because some people are intimidated. They think it takes too much time. But again, women are spending money on people who can take care of their hair. They want to know. And so education is a huge part of it. It starts with the future professionals. And that information is then carried through to the client, which is, again, why I created my ebook, Beyond the Braids, What You Don't Know Might Be Hurting You, because I realized I was saying the same things over and over to my clients, no matter how they shape the question, my answer was always the same because it's based in education. It's not based in what I think and what you should try. Maybe it's based on education. Structurally, coily kinky hair is the same. Hair has a root, a bulb, it's a shaft, you know, like it's dead. You can trim it. You won't feel it. Those are things that are just factual through and through, but the difference is in the hair care. My previous career was a gemologist. It's a completely unrelated career, but I realized the best way to kind of explain it too is you have a diamond and you have a pearl. Both are valuable in the industry, in the jewelry industry, but you won't handle a pearl the way you would handle a diamond. It doesn't mean one is more valuable than the other. It doesn't mean straight hair is more valuable than coily hair. It just means you have to handle it differently. And the only way to know how to handle it differently is to be educated. And if you're not getting it from the schools and you're not getting it doing your own research and you're just winging it, that all contributes to the damage that's being done. And so that has to come from education. I I love this message that it's fear-based and the answer to fear is always, the solution to fear is always education. Education, knowledge, Always, always, always. Yes. What, What do you have to add to this? Very important message, Nicole, and even taking it to the next level because you're a leader in the beauty industry. You you are the president of the most prestigious salon organization on the planet. What's the advice and call to action that you have for salon owners in all of this? You know, just to piggyback on what Camilla said, it's education is the key. And now more than ever, there's so much education on texture hair and black texture hair in particular. I love the fact that it's becoming more uniformed with, you know, the two way to four C and and, and utilizing that system because it really gives people an opportunity to truly understand the different textures and what they mean and the features and benefits of, of all of those. So my biggest piece of advice is for, especially for salon owners, You know, educate, educate, educate. At the end of the day, it it definitely helps with your bottom line. Mm -hmm. Um, Everybody, everybody needs their hair done. I don't care who you are in Mm -hmm. one way, shape or form. So a savvy business person would make sure that their team is educated on whoever walks through their door. But not only <laughs> don't let them that? don't let the money walk out the door. That's right. That's right. You let you make sure everybody is able to be accommodated. But then on the other side of that, you know, there's a legal standpoint that you have to be aware of because some people are very offended at the fact that you can't take care of their hair or you won't service them. Mm-hmm. And you know, you could possibly have a lawsuit on your hands. Oh, there, there, there is the story of a, a beauty school hosting a little princess party for a, a bunch of little 10 year old girls. And one of the little girls was black and she was turned away. So out of all of the ones wow. that are there for this little birthday party, this one little girl was turned away because, again, not for a discriminatory reason, but because, gosh, we don't know how to do your hair. Can you imagine what that felt like for that little girl? Oh, just horrible, horrible. And I'm sure that turned into a lawsuit. Yeah. Okay. So, so 
now you, that great advice for salon owners and for hairdressers. What's your, from the two of you, your advice to consumers that are listening to this who have probably their own bad stories to tell of, of not being serviced properly or being turned away or discriminated against or, or just the uh, horrible journey of trying to find a legitimate hairdresser who knows how to properly work on their natural hair? Mm. Well, I mean, one thing about it, I know social media has played such a huge role in that. And I know, Camilla, you could speak to that better than I in terms of how much education is available out there via Mm -hmm. social media. Mm -hmm. I think the most important message is to be careful where you get your information. You Mm -hmm. know, a lot of brands, again, their bottom line is financial. And Mm -hmm. so they'll Mm -hmm. send products to somebody whose hair naturally does what it's going to do. And Mm -hmm. so you're at home trying to figure out how to look like the girl in the video when you should be at home trying to figure out your own hair. So Mm -hmm. I think before we discuss what clients can do at home, there has to be a discussion about self-love first. Great point. Yeah. Without that, you're going to always look outside of you for the answer. And there's no greater relationship than the one you will have with yourself, which includes your hair. And so, yeah, I think that you have to be careful where you get your information. Is the person licensed? And not only licensed, right? Because they have to be licensed and actually care. Some people are just getting their license to be able to get their money, which is, you know, obviously you want to do that. But if you're, if the person does not actively show interest in the hair that they're taking care of, or you can, especially because social media, people want to share their work. Watch how they talk about hair. Watch their language choice. There are some words that I won't use as a stylist to describe natural hair. And there's some Mm -hmm. words that others will, and they think it's fine. If that's important to you, that's important for you to decide who you're going to support and invest in. Okay, because you brought that up, because to tell you the truth, I had put that on my list and was (laughs) hesitant as to whether or not I could ask it. Uh-huh. Uh, hair terminology. What you said that there's words that you would not use. Can you tell us? I mean, educate us here on what's appropriate and what's not. I mean, I personally like. I'm okay with coily kinky. Some people have an issue with kinky. I kink is actually what the hair does. A kink in something is a little uh like a dent. So kinky hair actually will curl around itself, but has an extra little dent or a fold within itself. So I'm okay with kinky. Specifically, what I'm referring to is the other N-word to describe hair. That This word has been used across platforms, even uh, who was it, Nicole? Maybe when you know to the the sportscaster that described WNBA player. Like that's not, that's not a word that I subscribe to at all because it's rooted in too much pain. And within the community, we can try to turn around what what it means and try to use it to empower, take, you know, reclaim what the word means. But because we don't have a little private phone line (laughs) and control who hears those conversations, Mm -hmm. I'd rather stay away from it. Mm-hmm. Because in the wrong ears, it comes out the wrong mouth. Right. And and all of that is rooted in education, you know? And I was, I was actually just going to say that. I think that's why it's, I'm such an advocate for this terminology of using the texture chart, you know, the two-way to 4C. I just think it's ingenious. It allows people to really focus on their texture of hair and back mm-hmm. to your point, Camilla, in terms of people watching these videos on YouTube, you're right. They'll look at, you know, someone's hair. They're like, I want my hair to look like that. Mm-hmm. But not knowing that they are looking at somebody that has 3A hair and they have 4C. And mm-hmm. no matter what product they're using, their hair will never look like that. Mm-hmm. And they're using a product saying that this is what is making my hair look like that. And it really isn't. That's their natural hair texture. But mm-hmm. if they know that and, and as a consumer, if you know that you have 4C or 4B hair and this is what my hair can and will do in its healthiest state, then your expectations are a little different. And then you can seek out 
education and your products based on your own knowledge of what you actually have in terms of your hair texture. Mm -hmm. Before I start to wrap this up, I, I'm curious, what is, uh, Camilla, what is black hair magic? You mentioned that. I have no idea what that is. <laughs> black hair magic, uh, for me anyway, is what the hair can do on its own. Untouched, the way it grows. I, I do a little quiz during my presentation and say, what is it called when you can stretch your hair out without it snapping and it returns back to its original state? You know, it's that elasticity. It's the magic of the way the hair grows. It's a wonder. It's a wonder of the world for our hair to grow upwards and outwards and closer to the sun and closer to God and close, you know, like it's got it. It's magical. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's um, a great, great answer. I love that. You, you had, you had mentioned uh, before Camilla, when you and I were chatting of, if people are more curious about this, you, you mentioned a couple of films. Chris Rock has a film called uh, good hair. There's a Netflix film called self-made uh, again, yes. great resources. Mm -hmm. Can the two of you share any other wonderful resources that our, our listeners can go to, to, to learn more? Uh, those two would really be my two main sources of movies or, or documentaries. You know, Chris Rock does an amazing job at facilitating and, and narrating uh, good hair. And if correct me if I'm wrong, Camilla, he was really that that documentary is really one of the things that really sparked oh, the natural hair movement. Oh, yes. That documentary was eye opening. And it's oh, funny. Yeah. You, don't, you don't expect that from Chris Rock. But I also want to throw into the mix a great movie to watch. Also, I, I don't know where it's streaming is Napoli Ever After with Sanaa Lathan. Yes, that's a good one. about that one. That's yes, a, that's a great one. Yep, a journey of a woman coming face to face with the emotions that we spoke about today. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. This is great. This is great. You know, before I ask for a, a final thought from the two of you, you know, one of the things that I read, again, what Dove put out regarding the Crown Research Study, and the statement was their goal is to help women express their individuality and sometimes their individuality is challenged by their fear of judgment. And just that statement alone just captured me and broke my heart that their best self is not coming out for fear of judgment, something as simple as their natural hair. Mm -hmm. So to wrap this up, you guys are incredible, by the way. Oh, to wrap this up, you. Uh, <laughs> you know, a final thought from you, Nicole. A final thought for me, which is, I hope the audience really takes this information and digests it because this is really the time that we're living in. And the fact that so many women are finally comfortable expressing themselves and through their hair and the celebration of their hair. The next time you see a, a woman of color, you know, unapologetically wearing their natural hair as opposed to going up and saying, Oh my God, your hair is so cool. Can I touch it? <laughs> Just say your hair is beautiful. Just tell them that their hair is beautiful. And you really have no idea what that, just those words that authentically you telling them that their hair is beautiful what that will do to them, their self-esteem, their confidence, everything, even to the most confident woman. Wow. You have no idea what that will do for them. Mm -hmm. Think about that, such great advice and, and think about all the people that you work with, the people that you go to school with, the people in your neighborhood, mm -hmm. you know, for us to, to go out of our way to find those women and to offer that gift. What great advice, Nicole. Thanks. Thanks for that. Absolutely. Camilla, what final thoughts do you have for our listeners? Um, my main final thought as it pertains to hair or just in general to know that we are all worthy of feeling beautiful and knowing that our individual appearance, even if it's different from somebody else, it doesn't make it better or worse. It just makes it different. And we have to appreciate the differences in each other because a world that looks the same is very boring. Amen. <laughs> so, Amen. To tie into what Nicole said, like, let's just appreciate the beauty of others and um, yeah, spread love. 
don't be afraid to not attach a compliment to more words. Let the compliment live alone because that's where people get tripped up. <laughs> Just say you are beautiful, not you are beautiful for dot, dot, dot. You are beautiful, period. Wow. Well, you guys, thank you so much for this. And, uh, you know, my, my final message is uh, I am on this journey. I am proud of where I've come, but I can always do more. And I think all of us, yes, we can be proud of, of who we are and what we do, but we can always do more. We can always learn more. We can always expand our circle of friends and colleagues and our committees to make sure that we're learning and listening so that we can take ourselves to the next level. We need to build a world that is safer with more love as you guys both shared so eloquently. That's the world we need to build. So thank you guys so much for this wonderful, thank wonderful you, message. Thank you, Wynn. Thank you for letting us use this platform to just spread that message. And you are, you're such a gem. Thank you so much for that. Oh, I love this issue. Thanks, you guys. <laughs> Have an amazing day. Thanks, you too. Bye, Nicole. Bye, Wynn. Bye, Camilla. Bye. Hey, take care, guys. Bye.